Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And God, we just confess that uh, we acknowledge how much you love us this morning. God, you are a forgiving and loving God. You are creative, even in your ways that you choose to love us and to save us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here together to, uh, to spend time with you, to hear your word. And we just thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated at this time. Uh, I would like to uh, welcome you here to White Oak this morning. Um, it is a wonderful rainy day to be gathered here with you. And uh, as we begin today, um, you, you may have noticed uh, that it was like a crazy week. If you've been on like social media or like the TV or any form of media, you know that uh, there's been a lot of uh, controversy and everyone freaking out over the, um, the recent ruling by the Supreme Court that now says that uh, gay marriage will be legal in all 50 states. And, uh, and I'm going to be honest, in the church, this is a, this is a tough issue because um, it's one of those things where, and maybe you've seen this on the internet, like this kind of issue has the potential to just consume everything, right? It's like everywhere, it's all anybody's talking about. It's so comprehensive and it's like everyone's whole life comes down to like debating this like one particular issue. And in the church, um, I would even say that with this ruling, you could say that we're, we're really entering into uncharted waters where um, as the church, we have certain beliefs and practices that we abide by and that we live in humbly and lovingly, um, that we read from scripture. Um, and in a lot of ways, the culture and maybe even the government does not um, agree with us. And so as we, uh, as we kind of look at everything that's going on and as we wanna process this um, in the church, um, I have four things that I want to um, encourage you. I have four very brief comments um, about this whole thing uh, because the reality is um, the Bible is narrow when it comes to the idea of, of marriage. It, it is. And, and in, in fact, if you've, if you've been reading the Bible for a while now, you know the Bible is like pretty narrow on, on most things, right? And all of us are big failures in all the ways in which the Bible is super narrow. <laughs> and so... Um, all of us are, are doing the best we can, but, you know, when we do read the scriptures, you know, the, the outline that we start having for marriage is a man and a woman for eternity. And, and the world views that as, as narrow, and I understand why, why they would, um, but it's something that the church has historically practiced for, you know, the past 2,000 years. And, and it is our reading of scripture. But as we do this, once again, I think everyone makes a massive controversial deal out of this. Um, I studied communication in college for a little bit, and what you find out is that controversy sells. And so every news organization has their own agenda to make it a real controversial issue. So you'll tune in so they'll make money. But as far as our stance as a church, let me give four brief comments, and then we'll transition into the sermon really quickly. Number one, um, our mission as a church ha has not changed one bit, right? Our mission as a church is to simply proclaim the gospel, that God loves humanity, that God loves people, and he came down in the, in the man of Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to raise again, to forgive us of our sins. God is God who loves us and who loves everybody outside of these walls, and it is our primary mission to tell people that message. That is the main thing we're about, 
You know, we understand there's social issues and, and those things are, are important in certain regards, but our mission primarily is not to uphold a certain view of marriage, but to uphold the gospel. Because I believe that change happens when people feel overwhelmed with God's love for them, and not necessarily because somebody is guilting them and beating them over the head with a Bible. And so our primary mission has not changed as a church. We are here to proclaim the gospel. Number two, be humble, okay? Be humble, be loving, be understanding that all of us are imperfect people. The main difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other worldview, every other idea is that um, rightness with God is not something that we can do or create. It's just something we receive, right? We are recipients of God's grace. We are recipients of his righteousness. We are not creators of good morality. We are not creators of good righteousness, And so when we talk to people who are struggling with life just like you and I are, we want to be humble and understanding with them. We want to do everything in love. Um, Most of the time, yelling does not help anything, and and that includes mean Facebook posts. And so um, be humble. But number three, be honest. Um, I think there's a lot of people in our culture, in our world today, that are afraid to, to speak the truth because they're afraid that the world might not like the things that they have to say. And so one thing I would always recommend is is be honest. Do it lovingly, but be honest. It's okay to tell people what we believe is God's view for everything in the world, including morality, um, including marriage, including whatever we're deciding to talk about, including the things we do and don't do. Be honest, but be loving in being honest. And the last thing is this, and and we'll be done with it. Um, Be encouraged. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing in the local church right now is that the cultural pressure to attend church and to gather with the body is kind of gone. Um, And so literally people that are able to gather with the church on a Sunday morning genuinely do it because they want to be there. And so I think what you're going to see form um, in our church and in churches all across the city and the world is what they call like a true believer's church where people that gather together gather because they love Jesus and they love people and they want to change their city and they want to change the world. They will not be going to church because they feel a social pressure. And as the the government and the legislators um, go in a certain different moral direction than we are, um, what you're going to find is people are going to, for certain reasons, not want to gather with us. And so what's going to happen is you're going to see a church form that is genuine, that is loving, and that is committed. And I think that it will be a blessing for all of us going forward. But once again, keep loving Jesus, keep loving people, keep doing what you're doing, Be honest, but be loving, and be humble. Let's pray, and let's dive into God's Word together. Father, we thank you for this time together today. We thank you that as we um, open your Word, that we know that you will speak to us, that we know that you have a good word for us. And I would just pray that this morning as we gather together If there's people in this room, God, and they just need to hear your voice, they need a word from you, they need direction, they need guidance, they need something, God, I pray that you would provide that for them this morning. God, remind us of the gospel as we study Psalm 2 this morning. Remind us that that, that you fight on our behalf, that when we try to live this life on our own and and do everything on our own, God, that we, we fall weak and we fall defeated, but God, that you sent your son Jesus to to live for us, to die for us, and to rise again for us, God, and that we can find everything that we desire in you. 
I probably would look to, to Jesus this morning for the way to live life and for righteousness and that we would repent of our, our desires to do everything on our own, God. Lord, humble us this morning. Teach us and grow us in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open it up with me to Psalm chapter 2? That's where we're going to be this morning. It's definitely a fitting psalm for, uh, for some of the things we've been talking about. But uh, turn with me to Psalm 2. And if you will this time, stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. Uh, if you do not have a Bible this morning, uh, it'll be up here on the screen for you as well. So Psalm chapter 2. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. This was written by King David in a a moment when he had a lot of people coming against him. King David prays, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. May God bless this word. You may be seated at this time. So I was, uh, I was out of town uh, last week, and uh, I was in, we've been involved in nine weddings in the past five months. And so it's been like wedding city for us. Um, when you're in your 20s and you're a pastor, like weddings is just all you do, I guess. All your friends are getting married. People in the church are getting married. Uh, I'm averaging two weddings a month. Luckily, I like weddings, but it's kind of got me all over the place. And I was sitting in, in a coffee shop in Austin, kind of waiting for the, the wedding uh, before I was going to head over there. And I was reading this article on the internet. And the article I was reading was about the horrific tragedy that happened in Charleston, South Carolina, where a white guy walked into a historically black church and killed nine people after sitting in an hour-long Bible study with them. Uh, Tragic, horrible thing. It it, it is an action, the kind that God condemns in Scripture. Um, as, As a fellow white guy, I can say this is clearly a racist act. And the article they had posted had what, it, what was called his manifesto, which means it was all his views on everything. And so I was reading through some of it, and the guy went on this like detailed rant about like why this white guy didn't like all the other races, and he gave like specific reasons why. And it was just a bunch of hogwash. Most of it, I mean, was just, it wasn't even something you could even see a sane person possibly thinking. I mean, it was just all over the place. And I remember as I was reading that, 
Um, because, you know, I think corruption, I think, I think wrongdoing uh, is, is involved in every race. I, I don't think um, it, it's, it's inclined to one person. Yet some people begin to come to those views to say that one race is superior to another race. But as I was reading what he was saying, I remember thinking the whole time, like, I know like so many countless people personally, like friends of mine from, from all different ethnicities that completely contradict everything that this guy was saying. And what a lot of people say is the reason why these views can often form in people is because of a lack of experience. Meaning, uh, the more you are um, encountering people of different ethnicities, the less likely you are oftentimes to be racist. They say that racism often comes from a lack of understanding. And so when you get to be around other people and see the, the joys of their culture and the things that are beautiful about them, we become more loving and kind to people who are different than us. And the same way that I think racist views often come from a lack of understanding and experience with other people, I believe that the majority of negative views against God come from the same source of a lack of understanding. I believe with everything in me that if you read this book and you really know who God is and you pray to him and you read the scriptures and you gather with the church, I believe that you will fall so madly in love with who God is. When you read the Gospels and you read the things that Jesus says and you see how he says he's come to die on the cross for our sins in our place, you cannot help but be so amazed at his wondrous love for you. And I begin that way this morning because I think when you read Psalm 2, there's a potential to play into a lot of the negative cultural themes about God. Oh, he's just controlling. He's just a distant deity. He's all about wrath. He's all about fury. We tend to think these things sometimes about God, and you hear those cultural narratives. And Psalm 2, if you don't understand the background of it, I can see why somebody would have that negative view of God. I made a point this year to not just during the summer, we're going through the Psalms. I didn't want to just go through Psalm 23 and all of the, the flowery Psalms, right? Because there's a lot of beautiful ones, and I beseech thee, and I seek thee, O God, you're wonderful, and you're with me. I wanted to get a full understanding of the Psalms. And Psalm 2, let's be honest, it's an honest Psalm by King David. He says words like fury and wrath. David seems confident that God is asserting his power in the universe. And yet I believe that when you truly understand scripture, when you truly read the Bible, when you truly pray, I begin, you begin to see that the king of the universe is truly good. He is all-powerful. He is good. And church, this is why we pray. We've looked already that we pray because God speaks to us, which is crazy, right? God speaks to us in a plethora of different ways. We pray because we speak and because God actually listens to us. The God who is over the entire universe hears my little voice in Houston, Texas in 2015. And today we look at the reality in Psalm 2 that God is all-powerful and that this is why we pray. We bow in prayer because the king is truly good. In verse 1, David says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. To understand this, what you first have to understand is that David was appointed by God through prophets as the king of Israel. So Israel in the Old Testament, they were God's people. And David was appointed as the king of God's people. 
And everybody agreed that David was clearly the guy that God had called to be the king. And so any foreign nation, any foreign person that would, that would come and try to remove David as the king or would try to destroy Israel, they viewed that as somebody who was trying to directly go against God's will. So God has called David to be the king. He made a lot of mistakes, but he was called by God to lead well. And when the nations began raging in them or against them, what happened is they basically viewed that as people going against what God had commanded. And so David was appointed as the king, and that was the way it was supposed to be. And so they're coming against him, and then David says this, He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. David says, The Lord has called me to this position, and not because I'm the perfect king will I remain here, but because God has placed me here. That is why I will remain here. Have you ever felt called to do something in this life? Have you ever felt like you had a gift and yet the world tried to discourage that in you? Have you ever like felt called to do something and yet everybody around you seemed to be telling you something else? Nobody believed in you. Nobody thought you could do it. Everybody said that really wasn't God's calling for your life, but you were certain that that was God, what God had called you to. This is how David feels here. In verse 4 it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. And I think what this says is that we pray because the good king is in control. We pray because the good king is in control. I was in a wedding this, uh, this weekend. And uh, it was one of those weddings where like they tried to do it outside. And so I think the definition of courage is trying to do an outside wedding in summer in Texas when we're like in the worst rainstorm season that we've been in like forever, right? But they were faithful and they trusted God and so they, they said, we're gonna have an outdoor wedding. And so it was last Sunday, six o'clock and everyone's walking outside being to sit down for an outdoor wedding and everybody's like super uneasy because they see the storm clouds rolling in. In Austin, Texas, or it was actually Dripping Springs right outside of Austin, it's a beautiful place when it's nice, but because of the landscape, it's like a terrifying place when you can see a storm is coming on. So we're sitting out there getting ready for this wedding, and everyone's kind of uneasy, and you hear the murmur of, oh man, I hope it doesn't rain. Everyone's kind of concerned. And it's literally 6.30 on the dot. The wedding is about to start. I mean, literally, there's like a full band outside. Like, all this equipment is sitting outside, Okay. And it's 6.30, and you start to feel the little, the drip, drip, drip. And all the prayer warriors are praying, and we're trying to pray away the storm. And then a torrential, torrential downpour comes. And it's raining everywhere. And it is panic. And people, like, grabbing the instruments. Like, actually, Evan and I were actually at the wedding. And we were, like, trying to help him cover up the, the, the instruments. And everyone starts, like, running inside. Like, everyone's in their Sunday best in a full suit. And it's pouring rain. It's supposed to be this girl's, like, fairy tale wedding. And yet it's pouring everywhere. And so everyone runs inside. And we're all waiting. And we're not sure what to do. And they said, no, no, no. We have decided to have an outdoor wedding. So we are going to do it. 
So literally everybody is standing inside and they're waiting like kind of near the, the exit because the second that it starts raining, what we're going to do is we're going to run outside, have a super sh- short ceremony and come back inside for the reception. And so everybody's waiting inside and I really respected the courage and the faith of these people because I mean they were like, we are going to do this. We're doing the outdoor wedding in Austin, Texas. This is going to be beautiful. And so everybody's waiting and eventually it stops raining, right? So it stops raining and everyone runs outside. It was kind of funny. You know, everyone's like kind of walking really fast, trying to get to their seat. They're like, we're doing like a 10-minute ceremony. We're getting back inside. And so everybody goes outside. Everybody sits down. And, and what do you think happened? Torrential downpour comes back again. It gets falling all over. So everyone's running back inside again. And everybody went inside. And they decided to go ahead and have the wedding inside. Uh, but it was interesting because whenever we moved back inside, um, they had this kind of uh, place where like the, the preacher was standing and the couple that was getting married. And it was interesting because behind them, it was all these like glass windows. And so you could see everything that was happening outside, right? And so like as they're getting married, like the worst of the storm is actually falling on the place that we're at. And so like literally as they're getting married, you can see like the sideways rain. You know like the sideways rain, like when it's, when it's windy and the, the rain's going like this. And then some guy's like umbrella, you know, it's like, it's, like, it's like flying over there. And literally you're seeing this as the wedding is, is, is going on. And, and it was this interesting thing. And I was thinking to myself, like in the midst of all that, it was a beautiful wedding, but it was like, we are in, I mean, honestly, one of the worst storms I, I, I'd ever been in. Like, it was just, it was, it was ridiculous. But while all that was going on outside, we were inside in a room probably about this size, having one of the most beautiful weddings I had ever been to. And it's like, you could see the danger of the storm all around. And yet I was watching this bride walk down this aisle in this safe, clean, beautiful facility, in this safe place, in this dry place. She was walking down and, and the music was playing and it was so beautiful. And the friends and the family were, were gathered around. And keep in mind, the rain is still sideways outside and you can see all of it. And the umbrella is flying all over the place. And yet there's like this peace in the midst of this room. And it's like in the midst of this horrific storm, we are engaging and encountering this sacred and special and beautiful moment. And I think every time that we pray in this life, I think it's kind of like that where the world around us is is all over the place and our circumstances are kind of like the sideways rain. And we've got all these issues, all these struggles, all these relationships that's re- that we're trying to, to, to do properly. And yet when you pray to the God who is in control, you enter into this place of just security and beauty. And, and for a moment, maybe you've experienced this, when you pray, like, all of your problems don't matter anymore. Because when you pray, you're touching the sovereign, good king who loves you, and, and you're just being with him. And, and you realize that, like, he loves you, but then the best part is that, that but then in his love for you, he's also all-powerful, and he, he controls everything. And so it's like the world can be crazy, and the storm of life can be intense, and yet we pray because God is in control, and no storm of life can get in the way of the peace he wants to bring in your life. 
We can enter the most sacred spaces in prayer in the midst of the storms of life. And this is why we pray, because the king is truly in control. The good king, the the king of the universe, not the king of Britain or the president of America, the king of the whole universe loves you and is in control. And this is what David says. He says, you sit in the heavens and you laugh as people come against me. They say that we're going to set up this king, and yet, God, you have said that you have called me to be the king. And because you have called me, I will remain in this office. You see, our father is the, is the true king. He's the, he's the good king. And it's interesting because I love history, and what you see is the, 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 the best leaders and the strong, strongest, most dominant men of all, all time, they've all tried to set up these kingdoms, and none of them ever last. I mean, there's like, there's Hitler, there's Genghis Khan, there's Napoleon, there's Caesar, and they set up these kingdoms, and they last for a few years, and then they fall apart. Men come to this earth, and all they care about is building their own kingdom and their, their own name. And yet, Jesus is the most influential human that ever lived. And he never had to even pick up a gun. You see, Jesus didn't have to kill people to get them to follow him. And yet kings of the world have to force people and coerce them. They have to threaten them by saying, you must follow me or I will kill you. And yet Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take your dead self and bring you back to life. When we pray, we touch the sovereign God. I think it's amazing how everything that Jesus says, he's so humble, but he, he speaks with all this authority. And in the Great Commission, he says, um, he begins the Great Commission by saying, go therefore make disciples, by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples. And then he closes by saying, and I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, humanity is broken. There's sin and there's evil and, and there's pain in this world. And, and everybody knows that we need somebody to lead us out of this. We need a king. We need a really good king. Like the same way that Israel wanted a king in the Old Testament, even today in America, we want a king. And every election, like 2016, oh, I guess the, the good king's going to be Hillary or, or it's going to be Rand Paul or it's going to be Ted Cruz. And, and we're, we're waiting for the true king to come and lead us back into prosperity. And, and every election, it's like the country's falling apart, but this new person's going to be the right person, right? Never happens never happens. And who would want to be president anyway? That's like the worst job in the world. Who would want to be president? Gosh. And it's like we need a king. We need someone to lead us because we're all broken and we're all stumbling in this life. We're all going all over the place. And some people choose to follow their, their impulses and their, their carnal desires. Other people choose to follow like money and other people choose to follow like earthly leaders. And we know we need a leader. And, and yet Jesus says, or God says, as for me, I have set my king. And what most biblical scholars believe is ultimately this is, this is uh, saying David was king because of David's line, Christ would come. 
It was important for David to be king because the prophecies had said that from his line, the, the kingly line, that the ultimate king would come and they waited for him. And then he came 2,000 years ago. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is the good king who God appointed to lead his people out of slavery, death, and sin. Jesus is the good king this morning. I want to read you something crazy. There's a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, long before Christ ever came. And it says, this is a prophet saying, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then like, 700 years later, Jesus comes. And before he's crucified, he, he, the, the gospel says he, he rides into town triumphantly on a donkey. And, and the rulers of Jesus' day, they, they didn't get why he wasn't building an army. They, they didn't understand why he wasn't recruiting people to go fight other people. Even other religions that have formed started because it was almost like a militaristic campaign. We needed a king, and God has provided the perfect king in Jesus to lead us out of sin and death. There's this exchange in John chapter 18 when Jesus has been arrested and Pilate, who was, you know, uh, the political leader, was talking to Jesus because everybody was wanting to crucify him. And, and Pilate was trying to get a feel for Jesus. And he has this exchange with him where Pilate says, um, Pilate asks Jesus, um, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's what everybody's saying. Are, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, do you say this of your own accord or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. He says, look, if you're truly the king of the Jews, why have they, the people you're the king of, why have they turned you over to me? He says, what have you done? And here's the key response that Jesus gives him. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The same way that King David was confident in what God has said, it's the same way that you and I are confident in what Christ has said. We don't just follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. We don't just follow him because that's what we've always done. We follow him because he is the truly good king. And we pray to him because he loves us. Because he saves us. And, and he, he conquers death, and he lives a life of righteousness. And then what he does is he transfers it over to you and me. 
He saves us. I'll close with a story. Um, I saw this on NBC News a few weeks ago. And um, it's one of those like really good feel-good stories, and I love it. Um, there's a story that came out of Ethiopia of this girl who had been um, abducted by seven other Ethiopian men. She was a 12-year-old little girl abducted. And the reason why they abducted her from her village was because they were going to force this girl to marry one of these seven guys. And so they abducted her, and she did not feel like she should have to marry them, rightly so. And she began to fight back against these men. And they began to, uh, to beat her and uh, to harm her. And so as they're beating this 12-year-old little girl, these, these grown men, she begins crying and she begins screaming out because she's just afraid she's going to die. And true story, they say that as she's screaming, three Ethiopian lions emerge from the wilderness. And these three Ethiopian lions literally attack the seven men who were coming after her. And once they ward off all of the, um, the perpetrators that were coming after her, the three lions formed like this kind of circle around her. And about an hour later, the people from her village who had known she had been abducted came to find her being protected by three Ethiopian lions. Let me show you a picture of it. I have a peach picture of an Ethiopian lion. It's in there somewhere. Oh, no, not this. This is an Ethiopian lion, okay? They're known for their, like, black mane. They're some of the biggest lions you can possibly find. And they show up to this find this girl badly beaten being protected by three of these bad boys. And they begin asking, why do they think that these lions came to her rescue? There surely must be a reason. And what most people believe is that while she was crying and screaming, that the lions might have mistaken her screaming for the screaming of a, a cub. And they felt compelled to protect her and to save her, and to love her. And if that is not the way that, that you view Jesus, if you don't understand his intensity to save us and to love us from all the things that plague us in this existence, then we, we don't truly understand how much God loves us. In Revelation 5, it even compares Christ's return to that of a lion. It says, at one point they will say, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the root of David, has conquered. Revelation describes Christ's return for you and for me in this life to that of a lion. And all of us, we know that we've fallen short of God's perfect plan for our lives. Every person I talk to, there's a million things we've got to work on. And all of us know that in the end, we're going to die. And most of us ignore that fact, and yet it's just a reality. 
And Jesus, the true king, the man who has been followed by more people in human history than anybody else, came claiming that he was God, but that he was God come to save us. Come to die on a cross so that we would never have to die. And the gospel says that when we place our faith in Christ, that in God's eyes, when he looks at us, he sees perfection and he sees beauty. He no longer sees our imperfections. He just sees us as everything we were ever meant to be. And when we understand the story, and then we begin to contemplate God's power, what we realize is that the sovereign king who controls any, everything, he's not just all-powerful. He's not just perfect. He's not just uh, really strong. He's all those things, but then advocates on our behalf in this life. We don't just serve an all-powerful God. We serve an all-powerful God that loves us infinitely. And the way that we respond to God in this is we pray, as we honor him, we seek his will in all things, and we love the people around us. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your sin, when it comes to your shortcoming, here's my message to you. Let the lion save you. Let it fight off all your fears and all your worries and all your anxieties and all your shortcomings and all your frustrations and that thing called death that's coming for you. Let the lion, let the ferocious love of Christ who has every power that anybody could ever need, let him advocate for you. Let him defeat everything that is bullying you and plaguing you in this life by simply receiving his love and trusting in him. It is crazy. It is amazing grace because our only role in it is to believe in it. You just have to grab the hand that's reaching out to you, and yet most of us live lives so disconnected from God, so disconnected from the all-powerful God who rules the universe, and then we wonder why we feel helpless in this world. Because we know deep down that we're helpless. Our two biggest desires deep down are that we feel helpless and we feel unloved. Every single person, you, you feel helpless in this world, you can't control the weather or your circumstances, you can't control your job or relationships or death, you can't control any of those things. And we also feel unloved, we feel like no one loves us deep down, that it's all a, a transactional relationship. And yet within Christ what we find is a perfect love and the God of the universe who loves us. And finally there's somebody who loves us so much, not only do they love us to the point of death, but somebody who loves us, who can control everything. And this is why we pray. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I would just ask that you give your life to Jesus. You say, what does that look like? It just begins in your heart. But just confessing that, that you've tried to live life your way, you've tried to make it on your own, and you realize you can't do that anymore. you place your faith in the good king who is Jesus, who God specifically sent to lead us out of sin and out of death. God loves you so much this morning, church. Let's pray.
Dear God, I thank you for the depth of your love for us. We thank you, God, that that you're sitting on the throne and that we can have confidence that the God who controls everything is not an impersonal deity, but that you are a personal and loving God who loves to commune with us in prayer. God, thank you for appointing Christ the king that we all needed. Thank you for, for doing the work that we could not do for ourselves. And God, now at this time, through the power of your spirit, I, I pray that you would give us the confidence that David had. So often we, we, we look at the things he says and the confidence he has in God, and, and we feel so inferior to that. But I pray, God, that you would empower our church, that you would empower your people to be bold and confident that you love us and that you are for us and that you have not sent your son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Jesus, we just confess that that you are the king and that we can elect whatever president we want, we can elect whatever um, policies we want. And God, we'll wake up 10 years from now and this world will be the exact same. We confess that we need Jesus to be the king. And though a lot of people will go different routes, we just confess that we are committed to letting you be our king, to love us and to guide us. Lord, I thank you for this church and for these people. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd overwhelm them with your love for them. And I just thank you for all the wonderful things you're doing in our lives. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.